Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Seth, one of the co-hosts of Engage Podcast, to bring you today another great episode of Engage Podcast. But before I can get into who our guest is today, um, if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, go ahead and do so right now. Um, if you subscribe, you won't have to look for us every single Thursday. It's going to be directly downloaded onto your phone waiting for you to listen. Um, if you have not had a chance yet to check out our YouTube page, the link for that's down in the show notes. You can find so much cool content on our YouTube page. It's not even funny. Um, Um, We have book review videos. We have leadership videos. We have our live stream services every single Sunday at 11 a.m. We have videos. um, We're we're on the tail end of finishing up our U2 music review videos. Um, We're going to continue those videos, just not with the band U2. Um, There's just just so much for you to dive into. And not to mention the fact that there you can also find the uh, video version of today's podcast so you can see the guests interact with the guests just like we are seeing and interacting with the guest um it's a really cool just different level of experience that you can have with engage podcast so check out our youtube page subscribe to that and uh, that way you can get notified every time we come out with new content on our youtube page so that being said our guest today is an amazing individual. Um, I have known this man for uh, quite some time. Uh, I know him from uh, my days at Dunkin' Donuts. He, uh, to to put it in simple, plain terms, um, he's the guy that corporate sends to inspect stores. Um, so uh, you know, every every now and then, corporate needs to know how a store is operating. So they send this guy um, to come down and check out your store. And the thing that made this man stand out above his peers was um, that usually if people came down to inspect your store as a store manager like I was, um, it, you know, it, 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 it's not necessarily a fun thing. It's not something that you, um, you, you, know, you enjoy. But one of the things that this man did was is that every time he'd come down, he was so gracious with just giving us his with his just pieces of wisdom. And he taught me a lot about what it means to be a manager, what it means to be um, a leader, what it means to be a coach. And, uh, you know, in fact, the word coach is exactly how I would describe him. Um, so his name was Bob Weisler. Um, he still works for Duncan and he is just, he's just an amazing, an amazing man. And he's also a very devout Christian. And we, we talk a lot about, um, about, about, you know, management, leadership, um, how to run a successful business. We talk about um, living out your faith. There are so many things we talk about here in such a short period of time. It's 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 overwhelming. Um, but we definitely want to have him back on the show, um, and uh, I thank him so much for coming on our show. So, give it up for our friend Bob Weisler. <laughs> This is Engaged Podcast. We are recording today from Pastor Anthony's house. How are you, Seth? I'm very good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, outside is a nice, hot, humid Pennsylvania day. Um, I hope you're, you're, wherever you're sitting is a beautiful day as well. Today, we have the great privilege of sitting with Mr. Bob Weisler. 
Weasler. Weasler. Sorry about that. That's okay. And right, right behind you, I see Wichita runs on Duncan. So uh, why don't we jump right into it and tell us uh, what is it exactly that, that you do? So I'm a regional operations manager for Inspire Brands, um, assigned to Duncan and uh, Baskin. Uh, it's a fancy way of saying a franchise business consultant. Uh, main responsibility is helping the franchisees uh, grow their business uh, and then make sure they're running uh, to the guidelines and standards of Duncan and Baskin Robbins. Interesting. And how long have, how long have you done that? Uh, seven years, going on my, number eight, and uh, started back in Pittsburgh. The gentleman sitting next to you is a big part of my initiation into the brand, uh, into the Duncan brand. Uh, and it's hey, it's it's coffee, donuts, and ice cream. So you know, really, seriously, how hard can your job be, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Nobody told me that people like their coffee 70,000 ways different. So it is, you know, everybody has their own recipe and concoction and, um, you know, and, and then they get a little bit irritated when they can tell the difference between like four pumps of caramel and, and five pumps of caramel, like that one pump makes their day kind of thing. Um, but yeah, but it is, it is a fun gig. That's for sure. Yeah. The way you describe that does sound, sound, sound fun, you know, um, all, all things that, that, people generally like and brings joy to people you know you show up with yeah. it's it's like that's awesome you show up with you know coffee everyone likes that you show up with ice cream same thing yeah yeah well in, in you know the duncan world a lot of people don't realize it, it I, I could write a book about the different experiences because it's just i find duncan is just a different experience in fast food not just with fast food like i've talked with people who've worked at Wendy's or McDonald's and there's a lot of stories that they share that we never experienced at Dunkin but there's a lot of stories at Dunkin that other fast food people I've talked to are like oh yeah we never had to deal with that Baskin Robbins was probably one of the worst ones because of with the cappuccino blast that was I mean that's notorious anyone's ever worked at a, at a Baskin Robbins knows um, but for the most part though Dunkin was a it was a a great um, it was a great place to learn leadership skills, management skills, um, you know, how to work with people, how to work with the public. And, uh, you know, to kind of get into um, the reason why I wanted you to come on our show is because, you know, uh, my pastor here is a, is a huge proponent on leadership and, um, you know, management and all that. And I was thinking, you know, there was one word I would use to describe you um, would be a coach. And to give some people some insight on to you know how I know you personally was when I me and my our my friend Shelby when we were managing one of our stores yeah. in Newcastle together, um, you would come in and you would do your ROR's or RVs whatever they call them at the time, and before you came along, those RVs or ROR's were always like the like the most stressful day because you were being inspected by corporate essentially. Um, and it was always just walk in, point out what's wrong. I'm going to, you know, you got a 98% or whatever, and then that's it. But one of the things that you did so well was you came in and you were, you, you coached the staff, you coached the management on not just what we did wrong, but how we could improve. And you always would tell us why those things are so important. It's not just busy work. You always told us there was a purpose. And that's something that I don't, I think a lot, like a lot of people in the corporate world, they need to have. And so you, you were a perfect example of that. So 
with that being said, um, what are, who were some of the biggest influences in your, in your life that has led you to be the person that you are today? Um, I'll start with my dad. Um, he was, <laughs> he was really a servant leader, really a kind of, you know, kind of a, he was the life of the party when, when it was in that setting. Uh, but on a personal level, he was just a quiet servant leader. Um, you know, had a tremendous sense of humor. So nothing was ever so serious. Um, and then he was also very humble. And, and that's kind of interesting because he played for the New York Yankees in the 40s and 50s when, you know, his, his rookie year, his roommate, his rookie year with the Yankees at, at the major league level was Mickey Mantle. So, I mean, he played with the elites of the elites. Um, and, and when he would tell stories, which he was great at storytelling, he would tell stories about his experiences and about other people. So it was never about him. He was in the story as like a bit player. It was kind of interesting the way he told stories. Um, but it was always about other people and experiences and the learnings from those experiences, usually combined with a lot of humor, because you can only imagine the trouble that people would get in in the late 40s and through the 50s being a major league baseball player. So, so he was certainly one of the early ones. Um, then the two in business that really resonated with me and that I'm still friends with, um, and actually one got me into Duncan. Uh, the first one was Scott Sanborn. I uh, met him through uh, Ponderosa Steakhouse years ago. Uh, just, again, a great mentor. Um, didn't tell you the answers, just helped you find and get to the answers. So, you know, a lot of patience when it comes to that. And then Tom Stratton is the other one who I met through Donato's Pizza. And then he came over and worked with Duncan and got me into Duncan. And again, just a really great mentor that made you understand the other person. The, the end, I call him end user. I'm a big, big believer in, in what does the end user want? You know, and are we doing things to help the end user? Do we really know what they want? And Tom was really good about that. Tom his brother, the Strattons, had a, a, a fabled pass with McDonald's, including Tom. Um, so they understood the franchisee side of the business and how important it was and how to be a servant leader and take care of the franchisees because they take care of us. So those, those were probably the, the top three in that order. And then um, the last one um, is, um, is Christ. Mm. Um, which is funny because I was raised Catholic um, and really never had a great relationship with him, knew him, believed in him, um, but never really trusted him. Um, so it was through a, a, a couple failed steps in life that I finally decided, hey, you know, I know about him and um, I spent a lot of time understanding him, but maybe I should trust him. and Maybe I should have a... Uh, a really um, close relationship with him. And um, so that's really kind of the, the mentor that I have now, the, the leader that I count on now is, is, you know, what are those learnings? What are those lessons? What are the, there, there aren't too many rules. He didn't have too many rules, but the ones, <laughs> the ones he did have, they're pretty darn important. So, um, so yeah, so when it comes to mentors, um, you know, those are, you know, the, on the Duncan side, um, you know, Troy Berardi, I'm sure you know him, um, your, um, your mother-in-law and father-in-law, um, really, and you can tell I get choked up about this, um, 
really helped me understand the business. So, you know, um, I've been blessed with a lot of really good mentors, a lot of good mentors. Um, and then, you know, my current, my current boss, uh, Curtis Roberts, who's a director for the brand, it's just super. I mean, just really, he's, he's that why guy. Like you said, you use the word why. And to me, that's what coaching is about is helping people understand the whys, um, the whys in the house. And then training is about the when and where's and what's. So if you can help people understand the why and how, um, to me, that's coaching. Hey. So, hey, if you yeah. don't mind, I'd like to circle back on some, some of those things you mentioned. Sure. Just, um, just out of curiosity, you said your dad played for the Yankees. Uh, when when did he? When, when, what time was he there? Like how many years? What was the era? Nineteen. So nineteen forty-eight. He was drafted out of Beaumont High School in St. Louis. Um, to put it in perspective, most currently most major league teams have six or eight minor league affiliates, um, and there's thirty of them. But back then there was only like twelve teams in the league, and and the Yankees had twenty-two minor league affiliates. So you had to go through twenty-two levels to get to the major leagues. So he was drafted in 1948, signed right out of high school, um, and then made it officially to the majors in 51. And then from 51 to 55, played for the Yankees. And then he got, he got uh, traded to the Washington Nationals for a young, uh, a young ball player named Whitey Herzog. So that's my, one of my kids playing the fames is Whitey Herzog and him were traded uh, to different teams. So, yeah. In that era, did they win any championships? He went to the 1955 World Series and they lost um, uh, to the Do- I think to the Dodgers or the Giants I forget which one. Um, so yeah, he missed out by one year. If he'd stayed another year, the '56 team won the World Series. Um, so he has he had a nice World Series. Both teams, if you went to the World Series, got World Series rings. He uh, my my brother now owns the World Series ring that my dad has. Um, so there was a lot of a lot of good memorabilia. That's cool. Wow. Yeah. That's- um, you you mentioned something earlier about helping the end user. Is that mm-hmm. is that right? What does what does that mean? So you can call them the customer, the end user. Um, you know, and just really knowing what they want. Are you really taking care of them? Um, you know, um, and I always say this, and Seth, you'll understand this. Um, a lot of people don't do that. It, it's almost like we have this mentality of. Somebody pulls up to the speaker box and they go, um, all right, I have $20. And the person taking the order says, okay, pull up to the window. We'll have your order ready. And they get to the window and they have no idea what the, they just know the guest has $20. They have no idea what they want. And they make stuff hoping they fulfill that order right because they haven't taken the time to, to ask them what they really want. You know, what, what are you really looking for so we can take care of you? Um, and, and, and it, you know, it really costs a lot of problems if you don't take the time to do that. Um, and, pr- and process management, if you've ever seen a process management flowchart, you'll notice that there's a lot of what I call no loops. If, the, if this is no, then you have to double back and do the, do the back, you have to go back three steps and start the process over. Well, that's because you don't find out what the customer really wants. And, what, and those negative loops are very, very expensive. So what, what would be an example? Give us a practical example of what you're talking so about. So a, a practical example would be, um, I'll put it in perspective of, we want to redesign the RV process, um, the, the restaurant visit process, okay? And we want to make sure that um, um, we do this, that we want to we do these 10 things. And 
So we go in and we design the process and we then put it through all the testing and then we roll it out to the franchisee and we work with the franchisee and the franchisee gets nothing but frustrated because in, in their perspective, that doesn't achieve the expectations to the guests because we designed it, not the franchisee who's going to have to use it and it evaluates the guests. So we didn't talk to the guests and we didn't talk to the franchisee. So we developed a system that the end users had no input in until we were ready to roll it. And then, so if we go back and change it at that point, we wasted all that time in the development phase of doing this and have to go back and redesign everything. Um, and, and so that's the end user. So the end user is, you know, I'll give you an example, Seth, and I think we talked about this. In the restaurant, the sandwich station person, the end user is not the customer. It's the pickup window person. Am I taking care of the pickup, the drive-through window person? Or am I taking care of the expediter at the pickup area for, for online mobile ordering or pick or diamonds? You're not taking care of the customer because you never have you have very little connection with them. Your goal is to make the sandwiches complete the order properly so that when you give it to the cashier to give to the guest, you have taken care of the drive-through window person. If you ask if you ask the sandwich station person, who is the guest, who is the end user, they'll tell you the person in the car. Hmm. And they have no connection with that person. Right. And it, I mean, because, because of their, they're thinking that the, per, like the person in the car is the end user. Mm -hmm. They don't, it's like, not, you know, it's that like they completely miss over the person who's going to hand that order out to the customer. And so, so if, if the person who's handing out the order isn't feeling valued, if they don't feel like if they feel invisible and their needs are not being met, then ultimately you're never going to achieve the, you know, satisfying the customer because the person who's actually handing it out is ticked off because you're, you're, uh, you know, you're putting it in the wrong place. Exactly. I think about just one of the things I've learned, I learned from you, um, just from a managerial in applying what, what, what you're talking about is <clears throat> with the employees is knowing um, why does this person work for this brand? Why does, why does, let's just say her, uh, let's just say Carol. Okay. Why is Carol working at Dunkin' Donuts? Is it just the pay bills? Mm -hmm. um, if, and if, if that's the case, then my job as a manager is to help her meet that need. And then if, let's say, Ben, Ben's doing it because he wants to learn managerial skills. He wants to, he wants to learn. My job now as manager is to coach him and help him to achieve that. If I'm giving those individuals what they are wanting and what they need, then they're going to take care of the customer and it's going to take care of itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because if you, but, you know, a lot of people don't think that way. And a lot of, you know, the, the, the common mistake is we just need to satisfy the, the guest. Well, but, you know, you're, you're overthinking, you're overstepping your employees. But at the end of the day, feel like I don't matter because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the customer. And ultimately, they'll quit and they'll become the customer because they want to be valued. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, we had an example where we got a new vice president and we had a monthly recap that we had to do to, you know, keep her in the loop. She wanted to know, I mean, she's got 500 restaurants over 40, 14 States. And so 
we, <laughs> on the fourth rendition of this, the words came that we were getting closer to what she wanted. And I finally interrupted because I, and I'm mad at myself because I didn't do it two renditions ago. And I said, has anybody sat with Maria and said, okay, what exactly are you looking for in these recaps mm -hmm. so that we can give you what you want? You know, we'll put it in our, you know, I always look at format content and style. So what's the format you want it in, you know, and then, What's, the, you know, that's kind of like your foundation of your house. And then what's the content? What do we, what do you need it filled with? And then we'll deal with the style, the, the font size, the font itself, the color and stuff. But it's like, don't you think it'd be wise for us to someone, I don't care if you want it to be me, I'll, it'll be me, to ask for an hour of her time and say, what exactly do you need? So that we provide these, because there's nine of them coming to you in the format and give you the content that you want so that you are you have the recaps because you're you're funneling this up to, to the chief operating officer so um so wouldn't that be really important we could have spent two hours with her four renditions ago and gotten this right other than we keep we keep trying to guess what she wants and she keeps giving us feedback that yeah, take this out. I need to, you to add this in, and it it wasted so much time, so much time, and it yeah. became very frustrating. The more the the more, the closer you get, it, the more frustrated you become because it's like it's oh, it's not perfect yet, or it's not where it's you. Someone just sit down and answer the question. What, what do you want so we can give it to you? You are, are it's not you're our boss. This is a recap for you. You're the end user. What do you want so we can give it to you? And it, I mean, you think about it, it, it does kind of play a part of, you know, whether it's your flock or your relationship with, with God or with Christ is, you know, what's the end user want? What do they need? Right? Yeah. Take some time to learn that so you don't waste. Trial and error is really, and I'm a kinetic learner. So, you know, I build the swing set and have 14 bolts and nuts left over and say, you go try it, see if it's safe. But, but that's not a real good way to work, go, go through life or work in, in the business world. So, hmm. so yeah. Very, very, very cool. I guess it's just about valuing people, mm -hmm. not, not overlooking people. I, I read somewhere on Facebook recently with all of the um, stimulus checks they're giving out and people can't, businesses can't find anyone to work. Mm -hmm. And basically flipped it and said, well, considering the people that are working and are now doing two jobs or three jobs, at the same place that they were hired for before, yeah. did you think about um, giving them a bonus. Did you mm -hmm. think about you know appreciating them for for what they're doing for you? And that really hit me. It just made me think that you know these people are stepping in and doing something that they never ever were originally hired for. It's so much more stressful, and it just made it made a good it posed a good question for those that are running any organization. How much are you appreciating and valuing those that are, are working for you? I mean, when times are, are good, it's great, but you know, times haven't been great this last year. And a lot of people are, are spread so thin, it might be nice for some organizations to go out and appreciate those people, do something a little extra for them. That's exactly right. It's, it's, it's unfortunately one of the casualties of, one of the first casualties of war sometimes is, is when that stress sets in and you're battling, battling, and battling you forget to recognize people, not even reward them, because rewards are nice too, they're, they're important, 
but just simple thank yous and I appreciate you and and then the specific reason why just so it doesn't become like a greeting right it, it, it means something so when you drive home from work you're thinking about, well, yeah, Seth said he appreciated me for making sure all the orders were done in the right order at the sandwich station. So you're also building on those behaviors, you know, as we, as we walk through life, whether it be with children, young adults, even adults, um, it's, it's, it's not the words, it's the specific words that tend to, you know, sink in and plant seeds of why you want really good behaviors to be exemplified and magnified or why you want to stop bad behaviors. But we, for, don't, we tend, because we get rushed and we get busy, those are the things we tend to forget or put off to the side first is something as simple as just taking a minute, breathing and saying, I appreciate you or I love what you did for me or those kind words mean something. And, and I, I don't know if you've ever le- read The Five Love Languages. It's kind of a cool book. Um, you know, one of the love languages for people is, is words of affirmation. And it, uh, you know, it really resonates with people that have that as a primary love language is making them, making them feel appreciated for specifically what they did and then hoping they repeat those behaviors. So it's, yeah, it's really important. Tell, tell us a little bit about, you refer to yourself as a coach or a mentor. How is that different than a boss? Why, why are those terms important for you? <laughs> well, you can be a good boss and be a coach and a mentor. Um, but you can also be a really bad boss. Too. <laughs> so, um, you know, um, it's almost like people have asked me the difference between a manager and a leader. And, and you know, managers manage systems where leaders um, lead people uh, through systems, through the use of systems. Um, a boss will tell you, again, what to do, when to do it. Uh, they They will usually focus on again, like Seth said earlier, telling, telling you what you did wrong, um, where a coach and a mentor will explain the whys and hows. And, um, and then hopefully in that process, when you walk away, you can trust that behavior to be done. So you're not playing, I call it a big game of whack-a-mole leadership. It's, you're always there trying to put out a fire or whack-a-mole down and, because you never get to the root causes and you never get to the systems. Um, so, so you can be a good boss. Um, you know, I think it has bad connotations at times uh, because of all the examples of bad bosses. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's, it really is all about can you get people to achieve common goals that benefit everybody at some level? Because if you can't, like Seth said, whether it's the person that wants to get developed and promoted or the person that's just there to fill 20 hours a week because dad makes me pay for my car insurance. Um, whatever that, that's in it for them, the WIFM radio station, um, whatever it's in it for them, if you can tie into that and, and really flex your style to that, then when you walk away, that, that's when they perform. Not when A boss tends to get performance when they're there and over them. A, le- a leader, a mentor, a coach, hopefully we'll get that performance when they walk away because of a desire to want to versus a, a, a need to have to kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was well, you, know, you guys do a great job on Sunday, but you can't be there Monday through Saturday to see if they're doing it, right? <laughs> so with, so uh, c- coming off of, of that, um, 
leadership and management and knowing what what what, what people want and, and doing all the things we've, we've talked about this is something that i i believe doesn't come naturally to the average person it's something that's learned over time with you know trial and error go to a job you you make a mistake and then you realize okay that this is where i went wrong just like you were talking about this this board meeting where you realized that you had you just wasted so much time and yeah. energy and resources because you guys no one just simply just asked the question what do you what do you want you know <laughs> um tell us of a time just in through your process whether it be you know professional personal you know of a time that you failed um and how you overcame that failure and how you are a better person today because of that failure. Um, so the, <laughs> when you gave me this question, it really, it's like, man, I don't know how long this podcast wants to last. I could tell you about a lot of failures, <laughs> but um, the two that I think the, the one it, I did it twice because I wasn't smart enough the first time to really learn the lesson. Um, but you know, I've been divorced twice and two failed marriages. Um, and, and, you know, the lessons learned from that are, are a couple. Number one, um, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't serious about being a leader in the marriage. Um, the first one, I was very young and very selfish. Um, the blessing out of that is I have a 38-year-old son that I love to death. Um, the second one, we were both uh, very driven, very energetic, very corporate, corporate, corporate. Um, and, and we kind of just co coexisted, like, uh, you know, co, co cohabitated, right? Um, uh, co-managed. I, I always, I always say that, especially in the end, of, uh, and it was 20 years, uh, at the end, I almost felt like I was playing prevent defense. I was playing not to lose. Um, mm. so it, it, it really came from, um, really looking at, you have to, you have to lead. I, I would rather lead. Uh, down a path uh, than to try to manage down a path and not, not have a direction. Um, so th that was one of the biggest things. And, and really what came from that is, do you understand yourself well enough to develop a culture of yourself? Businesses talk about culture all the time. You know, mm. what culture do we want to set? What's our culture? What's our culture statement? What's our behaviors? But do you ever do you really think about that as an adult, as, as, a, as a married couple, as a family? Yeah. I didn't have one. Um, you know, and, and, and for me, that's the difference today is I, I have a culture. It's my culture, um, and it's based on my relationship with God. So, um, so I want to be, you know, I, I want to grow. You know, one of my cultures is growth, my, grow my spirituality, grow my relationships, um, and, and see people grow, help them grow. So that's part of my culture. Um, I want prosperity in life, not, and not profitability, not money, prosperity. I, I want to be able to reap the rewards of, of things around me. And, and so developing your own family or individual culture to me was really, really a, a valuable lesson. And, and I can only say that my advice would be base it on a belief system that is not your own. For me, it's easy. It's Christianity. Um, and the reason I say that is because you can look in the mirror and lie to yourself all day long, you know, or justify 
your, your wins and your losses based on your belief systems, but you can't do it with God. Mm. You know, um, he knows when it's fake news. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, so that was the biggest lesson from that. It's just developing, you know, I, I talk with franchisees all the time when we talk about growing their business or they're struggling with people, they're struggling with people. Right. And it's hard more so than ever now. And that's the first thing I talk about. It's not the tools and systems. It's like, tell me about your culture. What culture do you want? And, and, and I start with a real simple exercise. It's like, what are the four or five things that define your culture? That, you know, that if you put it on a wall, it's artwork. If it jumps off the wall and you can see behaviors being driven by that, then it is a culture. So it's, you know, it's interesting. And then, then give that piece of paper to four or five people in their business and say the same thing. Can you, can you define the Daylart culture? What are the four or five things that really drive Daylart organization? And see how close they match up is kind of an interesting exercise. Um, but for me, that's, that's the thing I did coming out of the second. I mean, I went through, I went through three years coming out of the second marriage of, of really spending time on me working with um, two counselors, working with two mentors, working with a priest, um, and working with a, a pastor. Um, because I said, if I'm going to have really good relationships in the future, I need to know what I need to do, not what they need to do. I can't change that. It's what do I need to do and who do I need to be? So I, I again, I'm the end user, right? right? So it's like if Seth, if it was you and me, I'd sit there and say, here's, here's my culture. I'd love to have you be a part of it, but if you don't want to be a part of it, I, I get it. I totally get it. But I'd rather know that two weeks in than two years in kind right. of thing. So for me, developing your culture and then sticking true to it. And again, I can only, I can only give you advice that for me, it's, it's beyond myself. It's, it's bigger than me, whether, whether it's your family, whether it's, uh, um, whether it's, like I said, for me, it was Christ related. So, you know, what do I want to be known for? What, you know, what, what can people expect of me and count on me for based on that? I think the irony is, is in that, in, in the um, faith element, the end user actually isn't ourselves. It's actually Jesus. That's exactly right. You know, uh, Paul, Paul, and I just preached on this Sunday, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that, and in that way, like you said, these values come outside of ourselves and our yeah. focus. Now, our goal becomes to focus, fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what Hebrews says. And I think that's what a lot of people in the church get wrong. We think we're the end users, so it becomes all about us. But it's really the end user is, is God, is pleasing God. So when they understand that, it flips the script to say it's not about me. Um, it's about we. You know, mm-hmm. it's about how I can serve others and, and, and bring a smile to my Savior's faith, ra- face rather than... Um, him bring the smile to my face. I think the, the culture of Christianity in America has, has gotten the, that very twisted, unfortunately. But I like, the, I like what you're saying. Um, well, I can give you a real quick example of that. Um, I spent two weeks ago, three days with um, somebody who is um, with, with Duncan, and we, we toured th- uh, three different markets to look for sites for franchisees. And, and um, this individual was amazing. He is amazing. Um, and he is, um, he's very, very spiritual. Um, and he, and he's gay. And, and so we, we had 
at times three hours of windshield time together, driving from Wichita to Springfield, Missouri, up to Kansas City and stuff. And it was really neat. We, we ran the gambit on conversations. And one of the conversations we had about was um, how, how, do you, how do you square that? You know, how do you square being gay and being very Christian? Very, he, he, he's a, a, a youth pastor and, and um, loves God. And, um, and really what resonated was it, it's all about judgment. And the fact is we shouldn't be judging. It's not ours to judge. Um, and it was really cool to just, you know, there wasn't trying to win an argument. There wasn't trying to convince me of, of anything. It was just learning from him what he has learned in life about his spirituality and about his, his life choice um, and, and vice versa. And so, it, you know, the one thing that really I see a lot of and I, I deal with it with my family is, um, you know, the last four or five years, we've certainly been able to, to, to get in heated debates and discussions because of the polarization of America. Um, and, and what happens with that is that um, somebody wants to always be right, which means somebody has to be wrong if you believe that. Well, you can have two things be right at the same time. Um, but if you, if you really don't get into a judgment position, it's amazing how, how much you can learn from people. And, and um, it's not my thing to judge. That's, hey, you know, somebody above my pay grade, many levels up, gets paid to judge on judgment day. So I try not to judge, and, which is hard, Seth, because when you're evaluating performances mm-hmm. and RORs and RVs, you can't judge. You can only evaluate. Here's, here's what I see, and here's, what, here's how you should do it better. But I, I, we are really bad times of judging and how and I, I don't know that we understand why that passage was in the in the bible how important it is um because it, it really is adversarial in nature well we we um you know uh we may share different theological points on on some things but um i was just wondering because you're sitting at a duncan where like what do you when you're not working and i can tell you're someone that loves your job um, you're, you're two feet in, mm-hmm. what do you do for fun? Like, what are, what are your hobbies? Uh, I love photography. Um, and it's a lot less expensive these days because of digital. When I first started, it was film and, uh, yeah. being a tactile kinetic learner, you can only imagine I'm how expensive that is. I'm going to grab something. Keep going. He can, he, he can still hear you. Okay. Um, so photography is really cool. Um, I love golf. I'm not good at it. Um, <laughs> my goal is to, now I love going and, and, uh, and being with the persons I'm playing with, a twosome or a foursome, and just experiencing the relationships are really kind of cool. And then if I, you know, a, a good round of golf for me is, is, a, is a plus two. And I don't mean that by score. I mean that by number of golf balls. If I can come <laughs> away with being plus two instead of minus six on the golf balls, it's a good round of golf. Um, the cool thing about that is that both of those for me, um, they, they, <laughs> he's, he's pulling lenses out. I love it. Um, the cool thing for me is in both of those hobbies it, to, to be really engaged, if you want to really even have fun with it and stuff, you, it's an escape. You have to focus on that. When you're hitting a shot in golf, you're focused on a lot of things. 
So you're not, the world goes away. And, and same thing with photography, you're lining up the light and the right angle and, and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I uh, this is a KS Super 2. It's really old. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. 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 So, I started with a, a Canon EF1. Yeah. Which was before the AE one. So, yeah. Um, if you're a photography buff and you love photography, there's a little, I mean, not little, it's probably 2,000 rectangular feet in Wichita. Um, uh, this guy's got a photography shop and you walk in there and it's, it's like you were, you know, see, you know, Mr. DeMille, can, can, can I get your camera from you? I mean, it is 1900s and 1920s. And I mean, he's got things in that camera shop that'll, it should be a museum. It'll blow you away. So yeah, so golf, photography, and then learning. I just love to learn. And, and, and it's not so much book reading as much as audio books. And a lot of, I, I love the Smithsonian Channel on TV, uh, the Discovery Channel. The, the, um, so anything learning, I like to do. So those, are the, those would be the big three. And it's not a hobby, it's a passion. My, my grandchildren and, and my son and my immediate family is, is a big hobby too. But, um, but it's, from playtime, it's, it's uh, photography and and um, and then and then golf are the big two, and then of course sports. I, I love sports, so yeah. I I started out photography. I took it as a um, I had a um, it wasn't a minor, but some electives, and I said let me try that. And I'm going to tell you what I really I really loved it. I took to it, and that was back in a day when you had the the dark room. Is that what it was? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, that, that is a really, really neat experience. Now they do yeah. all the digital stuff. The, this isn't the one I started out with. I have a Canon, I can't remember the name of it, but this was actually gifted to me. And my, mm -hmm. son, my son takes this with him. And there's, there's, no, there's no film in it. But the, the funny thing is, is you know, when you, when you do this, you can hear it. So yeah. he takes it with him everywhere, points it at people, and takes pictures of them. <laughs> He's going sick, so everyone's... <laughs> Everyone's all freaked out. They're thinking he's taking his their picture and going to do something, and I don't have the heart to tell him there's nothing in there because he thinks he's really doing something. So I always gesture to the person and go, "There's no film in there." Yeah, I actually, um, Seth, I I actually have um, some of the uh, nice pictures I took in my time in Pennsylvania are uh, leaving uh, Newcastle. There's a, a beautiful uh, like old mill with a water stream and a, a big red covered bridge. Mm -hmm. And it's some of, I've taken shots there a couple of times. Some of the best uh, pieces I've got. I love that area. So I forget the name of the park, but. Uh, was it, um, was it McConnell's Mill? McConnell's Mill. Yes. Yes. I yeah. think so. It's got the red covered bridge going over the, the water and the, and the, I think, I think that's it. Yeah. So I just was driving back after a great visit and I saw the road sign and happened to have my camera with me and went down there and took some great pictures. So, Yeah. I like what you said about the photography and the golf. You have to stay completely focused, mm -hmm. you know, on yeah. what, what you're doing. That, that's, that's good a, for your brain. It's good, it's good for your mind to, yeah. to, to sharpen it on the, that laser focus. Well, it helps at times make I, – I call it noise. It, it makes the noise go away, you know. So it's always good to make the noise go away. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, I, I don't know if he, Pastor has any more questions for you. But one of the last questions I want to ask 
um, is if you had ran, if you would run into your 10 year old self, you got in a time traveling machine and went back and you ran into 10 year old Bob. Um, what would you say to him knowing what you know now? Um, well, the first thing I would say is, um, yeah, you're in fifth grade and you're going to a Catholic school. And I know you don't think a lot of the nuns and the priests, but um, you might want to pay a little bit closer attention because it'll, it'll, <laughs> it certainly will impact you later in, in your life. So have a, you know, the sooner you have a really good, tight relationship with Christ, the better off you'll be. Um, so that would be the, the, the number one thing. And then the number two thing is, and it's tougher today, it's, it's insanely tougher today, but I think it still applies. And that's just be a kid, you know, just un, have a good relationship with Christ and all those teachings, you know, um, be kind, loving, um, accepting, um, but just be a kid, you know, don't grow up too fast. You'll have time to grow up today, especially we, you know, we kids today, it's insane. And, and, and part of that's the parents responsibility, but just be a kid. And then as you get older, as it just be a kid at heart, you know, always have that lightness about you, that sense of humor. And that's, and at the same time, the sense of humility. Um, but yeah, those would be the two things is, the sooner you have a, for me at least, look, looking at my life, the sooner you have a, a, a closer relationship with Christ, uh, the better off you'll be. Um, and then just always remember, just be a kid right now. Don't, you know, we, we fight so hard from 10 to 20 to, to be independent, you know, to, to forge your own path. And, and, and part of that is rebellion. And part of that is, you know, independence. And, you know, just just be a kid, you know, accept the fact you don't have to, you know, there's plenty of time to, to develop your who you are and your own person and just appreciate your where you're at in life. Be, I think that the, the way I say it is, is it is hard work. It is really hard work, but it's very valuable to just be content in life. Mm. You know, just, you know, I always say that I have to remember this is where he wants me. Sometimes it's not where I want to be, <laughs> um, you know, there, and there's some negotiation that goes along with that, right? It's like, no, hey, look, I got this plan, and I really think if you really were a little more open to it, God, you'd see it was really cool, and he says, yeah, hold my beer. That's not what I want for you, right? <laughs> and, and just um, so, yeah, and, and when I've talked to people in the past about being content, that's the thing they, they tell me. It's like, well, that seems like hard work. Well, yeah, it is hard work. It's hard work to be self-aware. It's hard work to, to, to know that you are where he wants you to be. And that can be frustrating at times. But there's also a big sweet spot to it. You know, when, you know, so the gratitude part, the appreciation part of that far outweighs those frustrating parts. But it is part of the journey. Uh, you know, but, and it does take hard work to be content. You don't get everything you want today. You don't get it tomorrow. Sometimes you don't get it at all because he has a better plan. He has a, he, he knows where he wants you to be and where he wants to take you. So, you know, and there's, there's a ton of value in being quiet, you know? So that's the other thing I would tell the 10 year old is learn how to be quiet, you know, learn how to listen, you know, listen to your ears, listen to your mind, listen to your heart, listen to your soul. Because there's messages there that if you don't, you'll you'll for you'll for, you'll forget it. Um, so so be be at peace with 
learn how to pray and learn how to be quiet so that you can hear what needs what what messages are being sent your way um hmm. and that, that to me is important so when i get frustrated i try to find a place just to be quiet and, and just to say all right where do you want me what, what am i you know what am i supposed to learn from this what you know what's the lesson you're trying to teach me here because i'm 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 not getting it yet. I, I really want to get it. So, yeah. So those would be the, I guess those are three things. Have a close relationship sooner with God and with Christ. Remember to be a kid now and be a kid at heart later or be with humor and humility. And then just learn the value of being content by being quiet and, and listening with every all of your senses, your heart, your mind, your soul, your senses. So, yeah. Wow. Those are all really good. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome. Yeah, it's very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So I, I missed this just in the beginning. Are you at Duncan now, or is that a background? No, that's a background. I'm okay. up in Omaha, Nebraska now, so I'm, we're opening a store on Thursday. So up here to help see how we get ready. And, uh, yeah, I got some visits tomorrow, some uh, some uh, food safety visits to, to help coach and teach tomorrow. So, yeah, that's uh, – that's uh, one of my recent backdrops. We opened this store, um, the Wichita runs on Duncan back in March. So, yeah. Very, very, very cool. Yeah. When, so. when, um, when are we going to air this? The, uh, actually, this upcoming Thursday. You'll be on Thursday. Oh, cool. Well, good. It's awesome. Yeah. This you, this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. So it's been a, it's, I was, uh, it was funny. It was a little, I was a little anxious, right? You, you just, uh, you're always wondering, A, what you sound like, because you never sound like what you sound like. That's the first thing. And then just to make sure, I appreciate the, some of the questions or insights in advance. So I, um, I felt that uh, felt I was prepared for it, and I appreciate that. Nice. Yeah, this was awesome. Well, I'll, I'll sign us off, okay, Bob? All right. Thank you, guys. Yes, sir. This right. is Anthony Cloditis and, and Seth Walters. We are signing off at the Cloditis house today at Engage Cast. If you've been blessed, hit that subscribe button. We look forward to connecting with you next time. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. I appreciate you. All right. See ya.